Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the National Links Trust podcast. This is a big month, October, for National Links Trust as the second annual symposium on municipal golf is returning to Washington, D.C. from October 24th to 26th. I actually attended some of the symposium last year, found it riveting, met a ton of interesting people within the industry, and I'm sure this year will be even better. This year's symposium's got a ton of interesting guests. It's going to be hosted by Golf Channel's Damon Hack. The keynote speaker is Mike Wan, who's still relatively new in his position as CEO of the USGA. And the symposium will be opened by a Q&A with famed golf course architect Tom Doak. And those are just a few of the list of guests, speakers, and participants in, in various panels at the symposium. I encourage everyone to go to nationallinkstrust.org to learn more, and tickets are still available. Participating in one of the panels, it's actually the, the a panel on sustainability in municipal golf, is the guest for this podcast, up-and-coming golf course architect Christine Frazier. Christine is based in Canada. She's been featured in, in a lot of media recently, including in this month's Golfer's Journal with a, a conversation between her and Gil Hance. In our conversation, I get to learn more about Christine's history and some of her perspectives that is helping make a name for herself that include her approach to sustainability and how golf course architecture can have a social impact and be socially responsible. Really enjoyed getting a chance to, to chat with Ms. Frazier, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as well. This episode is again sponsored by NLT Shop. If you use the code POD20, P-O-D-2-0, throughout the shop, it's good for 20% off. You can go to either shopnlt.com or nationallinkstrust.org, and up on the right-hand corner, click on uh, NLT Gear, and you can get all sorts of items within the shop for 20% off with code POD20 just for listening to this podcast. Golf on its face is not the most welcoming game. We need to provide opportunities for people to feel comfortable at the golf course, to ask questions, to learn, and to meet new people. And I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do at National Links Trust. All right, we are here with Christine Frazier of Christine Frazier Design. How are you? Hey, Alex. I'm really good. Thank you. So where are you right now? Where, where am I talking to you at? I am at home in Windsor, Ontario, which is about a six-minute drive to downtown Detroit. Oh, wow. That close to Detroit. Yeah. So you're yeah, right, right across the river. Right across the border. How interesting. I'll have to, when we're done here, I'm going to pull up a, pull up a map and figure out where I'm, where I'm talking to. A fun, fun fact about that is Detroit's actually sure. north of us, so, um, which is very strange for a Canadian because usually America is south of us. So Windsor is actually south of Detroit. So uh, there you go. That's pretty wild. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that sounds like something that would be on Jeopardy. That's, that's, that's probably pretty unusual. Um, I read about there's a golf course in Canada just north of the, on the Washington border, north of Seattle, that it's only or maybe it's, it's in the United States, but it's only accessible by going back across the border into Canada. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, wow. No, I've not heard of that. <laughs> and so during the pandemic, they, they, since Canadians were not allowed to come to the United States or vice versa for a time period, like all of their golfers are from Canada. And so they basically had no business. It was just kind of the locals playing for free. Anyway, 
<laughs> so we are speaking to uh, Miss Frazier because of the National Links Trust Symposium of Municipal Golf, which at the time that this podcast will get published, hopefully just in a, a few days or, or perhaps a week. And before we were going to get a lot of stuff, including your, your background in golf, your career, kind of your approach to golf course architecture, sustainability and design. But so a couple things. One, we'll, we'll get into the, 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 the symposium as well. But there's a couple interesting things that make you, I think, unique to the golf architecture world. One, when I think of golf course architecture and, and golf course architects, they're typically older. You know, they're, they've, they've been around the block for, for a long, long time. They've got some gray in their hair. Uh, that's one. And you, you certainly are young and have no gray in your hair. Uh, and two is that you're female. There, I mean, I'm sure there are more females in the architecture game than I realize. Yeah, there are. are. There? there are, as you said, more than you think. We're, we're kind of in the margins here and there um, and have been for a very long time. Um, but but yes, yeah, it's, it's quite unusual to see to run into another architect or even to come across another woman in a in a committee meeting or on a board at a golf club. So it's a it's a bit of a lonely business. I can imagine being a woman in this business uh, provides you with some unique perspectives and unique experiences on how you approach architecture, how you approach golf courses, and how you approach design. Uh, before we get into all, the, all that, I've done some research on, on your career. I've listened to a couple other podcasts that you've been, you've been on. And one of the most fascinating things about you is how you got into the game. I want to hear about Camden Bray's Golf and Country Club in your hometown. Yeah, so my grandparents had this wild idea to um, move to Canada uh, from their respective countries. They immigrated um, when they were quite young. They started a family. And then after that, in the early 70s, they decided that they wanted to buy a piece of land and build a golf course um, without having any past experience playing golf, let alone designing and building a, a business around it. So that was a pretty pretty daring and brave um, endeavor for them to undertake. And the golf course is still in the family today. And uh, that's that was my introduction to golf through my mother, who was one of, one of their daughters. And uh, I spent every single day of every single summer growing up at that place. So I've, I've really been born and bred into this industry. That's pretty wild. Um, so, so literally growing up on a golf course, I mean, did you start at, at, at a pretty early age? Not, to, I mean, I assume you started playing golf at an early age, but looking at golf course design and, and golf course architecture, like, is it, was this something that you wanted to get into pre-college, for instance? It, it, yes. I think in a, in a subconscious way, yes, but it wasn't so formal. It was, it was more about kind of learning about how to cut grass and learning how to grow grass and and learning how to run a business from from more of a uh, community and financial aspect standpoint. So it was it was just about being outside and and having that experience and sharing it with my brother and the rest of my family and and that kind of transitioned into this you know this really safe space that I felt comfortable in that just I never wanted to leave and and because of that feeling of community environment I. I wanted to pursue some type of career in golf. And um, I played in college, played down in Florida in college, and I wasn't good enough to keep playing golf once I graduated. So I, that was when I really started to pursue a different different foray into architecture. 
Is Camden Braze still going today? It is. It is. It's, it's still going. It's amazing. It just, it actually blows my mind considering my grandfather, who was the the designer of the course, had no past experience in this, in this field, that it's functioning and still in operation. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a pretty decent little, little layout. So, you know, it's, it's miraculous. <laughs> So I'm I, I'm getting my ahead of myself a little bit, but you know, so well, you know, you so you played some Division One golf down at Stetson University. Came so you you crossed the border into the states to, to to play your college golf, and then you got into golf course architecture. But now that you're in the field, you know, do you do you go back and look at uh, your grandfather's course and 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 try to make some ad- adjustments or give some feedback to the family, or are you hands off on the family course? Uh, of um, family businesses are tough, you know. They uh, they're they're hard work, and they they're really important to a lot of people, and you don't want to mess it up. So I, if I'm asked, I will help. Um, but otherwise, I kind of just let them do their thing. It's been pretty successful so far, so they've got a good handle on it. Very cool. Um, so. <laughs> Um, you, like I, I mentioned earlier, you've been on quite a few podcasts, so th- this isn't going to be the longest interview in the world. Um, this is more an, in- an introduction to, to the, to, to the National Links Trust audience, to Christine Fraser, for those that may not be familiar as a lead up to the symposium. Um, but you know, we can get, if there, there are other podcasts out there that you can certainly listen to, and there's links on your website, ChristineFraserDesign.com, where you really get into your background, some of your college career. One of the things I did find interesting, cause we're going to, we're going to, we're going to progress here through your career, but I think it's probably indicative of, uh, you getting into a field where, you know, as young as you are, being a female is somewhat unusual, but that, that, you know, adventure is not something you're afraid of. Did I read that during your time at Stetson on the golf team, you took the entire team skydiving and that's a passion of yours? <laughs> wow, you've been digging really deep. <laughs> that is, that is true. I've been, the, so apparently um, Stet, the city of DeLand, which is where Stetson University is, is they call it, they call itself the skydiving capital of the world. And, um, one of the things that I got into when I was down there was just hopping over to the local airport and going for a dive. And they had these great student rates and I found it exhilarating. And um, one of our, you know, team building exercises early on one season was to all jump out of a plane from 20,000 feet. So, (laughs) and uh, yeah, it worked. We instant, instant connection, instant bond, instant camaraderie. I would recommend uh, jumping out of a plane together. Um, that's one thing me, me personally, I, it's, it's I'm not, I have not done it and it's not on my, not on my bucket list. Um, but, it, but this is also just North of Orlando. So I'm sure you saw a lot of, uh, a lot of golf courses on, on the way down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a golf haven down there. After your time at Stetson, um, you, at some point you went overseas and you started working for mm. um, a fairly well-known, well-known uh, golf course architect uh, in the UK, uh, Mr. Martin Hawtrey. How did, how did that come about? Yeah. So there's a few different ways to get into golf design. There's no one way. Um, and the, the path that I chose was to get my master's in landscape architecture. So I'm technically a landscape architect, uh, but during those three years of the master's degree, the final year is, is, um, is development of a of a thesis uh so for my data collection of that thesis my qualitative data collection i um 
went over to Scotland and I interviewed superintendents and directors and secretaries from a number of different really important golf courses throughout Scotland. And um, one of those superintendents introduced me to Martin Hawtrey on that trip. And uh, we, I, I had been studying and writing this thesis for six months at that point and had come across his name and his father's name and his grandfather's name numerous times in my, in my research. And so I had a, I, I kind of geeked out a little bit at the thought of meeting and speaking with Martin Hawtrey and, and sort of picking his brain on some of the design ideas that he has explored over in the UK. And, um, we kept in touch. And at the time he was working at a golf course in Toronto called the Toronto golf club. And he had said, next time I'm there, why don't, why don't we get together? And, uh, that, that was kind of the beginning of, of a really long lasting, important relationship between him and I, and he's, he's, uh, my member, my mentor in, in many different ways. And he's taught me a lot and exposed me to a lot of different types of golf courses and, um, different ways of, of thinking about design. And as, as, but as, as I understand it, um, you know, that job at Toronto Golf Club, Toronto Golf Club being, you know, a, a pretty prestigious course, um, he really gave you the reins on, on some of the renovation, uh, early in your career. Is that right? Yeah. So he was tasked with redesigning the nine hole, uh, golf course at the Toronto, Toronto Golf Club. Um, and that, what that entailed was basically a three month, um, on-site construction supervision of the works to ensure that the design came out the way that Martin wanted it to. And he, uh, I, I think it was maybe because I didn't need a visa to come back to Canada, a little bit of um, practical reasons, but he, he threw me in. I had been working for him for less than a year at that point, and it was a, a pretty important job. And and he, he really believed in me and he trusted me. And uh, that it really got my feet wet. And there was a extremely steep learning curve and I had a lot of great people on my side during that project that that really pushed me to learn a lot, a lot very quickly and um, I think I think it was a great success are you still working with with mr. Hawtrey and his team whenever I can yes <laughs> I, any excuse to get back over to the UK and work with Martin I'll, I'll jump on it uh, I mean, I think a lot of the listeners to the National Links Trust podcast, with with everything that 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 NLT is doing, are are, uh, are fairly uh, educated when it comes to golf course architecture. But I had to do some research. I don't think Martin Hawtrey is is uh, maybe a household name um, here in the states. Uh, for those mm -hmm. that 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 don't know um, who he is or you know his his credentials. Um, can you give a kind of a high level overview of, 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 of why Martin Hawtrey is who he is? Yeah. So Martin Hawtrey, um, the, the firm of, of Hawtrey design is the longest running golf course architecture firm in the world. His grandfather started it. Um, his father took it over and then Martin himself. Um, and they've worked on pretty, pretty important golf courses throughout, throughout the world. They, Martin was at one time the consulting architect for the RNA. So any work on the open rotation courses that needed to be done, Martin was the, was the main architect for those. So, um, uh, I saw some pretty amazing golf courses, including St. Andrews, Royal Borkdale, Carnoustie, La Hinch, 
uh, and the list really does go on. So very fortunate to be able to work with Martin in that respect. So a lot of, but what I really, you know, I think what a, what a lot of folks want to hear and, and, and how you uh, and, and what your work is is so relevant to um, National Links Trust mission is a lot of what you talk about on your website. Um, and you've got, for, for folks that haven't seen it, it's ChristineFraserDesign.com. Beautiful looking website, but it's also how you talk about um, your services, what you do, what you bring to golf course architecture and design. You talk about it in, in very different ways than I think most uh, golf course architecture firms certainly do on their website. And I want to jump into it, uh, into a few of the, the bullet points you put both on your services, but also on you as an architect. Uh, because I think a lot of it aligns with with National Links Trust and just kind of this new movement in golf of promoting accessibility and one of the, the first thing that you talk about in your services social impact. Um, mm-hmm. So so why don't we why don't we start there? So I'm gonna I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna real quick list your services: social impact <laughs> office, uh, social impact offerings, critical design, graphic arts, technical drawings, and project management. But the first one is social impact offerings as a golf course design. When you click on it, it says, can diversity and inclusion within the golf industry be expanded through design? How, and, and you say absolutely, but you know, how you give it, give us like how, like, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, when I moved back to Canada from the UK, I, I really needed to find that, find what set me apart. This, the world of golf course design is very small, very niche, very incestuous, incestuous in the sense that the same people get the same jobs over and over again. And I had to, I had to really find that place for myself and COVID allowed me to do that. And, um, one of the things that I really valued that I found was missing during COVID was this human connection and, um, this social engagement that, that golf is so wonderful in, in promoting and, I found my way to the social impact offerings and, and I thought that, you know, if we could really, if we could really use golf to give back to communities, to drive meaningful change, to, to redefine what the typical golfer looks like and sounds like and dresses like, then, then that's something that I can get behind. And, and as you know, and I know golf has a, some pretty serious issues to reckon with, including gender, race and class issues. And, and and that's where I really wanted to get in and get my hands dirty and see what I can do. And um, back to your your question, you know, how can we diversify and, and make golf more inclusive and accessible through architecture? That's really my mission. And 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 if we if you want a concrete example, um, you walk into a clubhouse and and the design standards, the building standards are are very clear. They have to be. Um, we're wheelchair wheelchair accessible. They have to mm-hmm. they have to meet certain codes to allow people to access to the facilities, um, including those with mobility or adaptive needs. And so, um, I really tried to apply that to the golf course and what that would look like on the golf course. And um, simple things like eliminating curbs on cart paths, so so vehicles can get into the fairway or making sure that the only way to access a tee is not through stairs. There's, there's a, there's a slope that's at a decent pitch that 
you know, a solo rider cart can get up on um, and just really applying that from tea to green. <clears throat> that must be a, a challenge because on the, on the one hand, you know, golf course architecture um, and a lot of the trends is, is kind of going towards, um, you know, restoring a lot of golden age design, which a, a lot of it is, you know, flat golf courses without a lot of land movement are, are less interesting. And so to be able to design interesting golf courses while implementing a lot of what you just talked about, making them more uh, accessible for, for all sorts of different players, regardless of their, their needs. Um, I imagine it's challenging. It is. It's really challenging. That's, and that's the, that's what equitable design is all about is allowing people with different skills and different needs to have, the same pleasure and enjoyment and challenge on a golf course. And, and if you can do that for, for everyone, that's, you know, you've, you've been successful, but that is the challenge. And, um, but it is possible to do with a, you can, you can make a golf course really fun and, and really pleasurable for people with slower swing speeds without detracting from the experience of people playing from the back tees. It's, it's possible. Do you think that's part of the conversation in a lot of um, meetings or um, maybe RFPs for renovations, restorations, new golf course builds? Do you think today that uh, adaptive consideration or I'm, I'm just reading through some of your bullet points like design for women and girls, participation for more senior players. Do you think that's part of the discussion in a lot of these a lot of these um, projects? I think it, it's a smart business decision. It should be, if, of course, there's moral and ethical reasons behind um, why being more inclusive is the right thing to do. But if you want to look at um, how that can generate revenue, the, the answers are pretty clear. If you can get more people playing golf for longer periods of, of time, that means starting earlier as a beginner and playing later into their senior senior years, then, you know, it's it's a it's a good business decision. And that's, that's often the the strategy that I take going into a, a new job is, is trying to show people that there's more to it than just being ethical. It's, it's, um, it can help the business in the long run. I, I certainly, and I know nationally stress agrees with you wholeheartedly. I, I guess I'm curious if some of that requires you to educate them a bit, because a lot of this, um, hasn't been thought of in the past. Um, and, and may not have been there, you know, consideration on, on new jobs, even though to your point, it absolutely should be. So at the, at the, um, at the symposium for Nationalist Trust, I know you're going to be on the, uh, sustainability panel. And a lot of what you also talk about here, uh, throughout your website and, and what your offerings and what you're all about is, uh, you know, environmental impact assessments, um, how to manage water through design, um, you know, typically throughout, um, uh, the history of, of, of golf, uh, to the rest of the world and non golfers, you know, they, they look at the golf courses and how much water they use, um, as a negative and that, uh, you know, water management through design is something that, that needs to be, uh, a priority. Um, how do you, you know, can you, can you give us, um, you know, maybe, maybe an example of, um, you know, how you look at a, a design of a golf course or, or perhaps, or, you know, changing a golf course that, that you can improve water management? Yeah. And back to the, the educational piece, I think a, a big part of that is, is educating consumers on, 
on the value and the benefit of, of, you know, brown grass and how that can affect the way that we play a golf course and, and add interest and, and great challenge. And in a really interesting way, if you think of, of firming, firming a fairway during the dry season and allowing the turf to brown a little, out a little bit in this natural cycle, that allows the people that need the extra yardage to hit it farther and it also challenges the better players because they have to think about their angles into the green and running too far out through a fairway. So firm and fast is really a win-win, but it's all, it's often, it's often just how, how do we educate members and consumers to value that and buy into that? Um, uh, another great way to just reduce your water consumption is to look at your, your, the amount of turf that you're maintaining, maintain turf and try to reduce that wherever we can without unduly penalizing the wrong player and without slowing play. So if we can introduce some drought tolerant and native fescues and, and reduce the amount of rough that requires watering, then 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 that's that's something that I hmm. often will suggest. Are you starting to see that sentiment change? Um, you, you, you see a lot, um, you know, <clears throat> Augusta National and how beautiful Augusta National shows, you know, every spring on yeah. TV is probably part of the issue why, why you know, um, golfers out there want their or have always wanted their 100%. golf courses to look you know, yeah. perfectly green at all times and, and, and view brown grass or brown fairway as, as some sort of negative in your experience out there in the field, are you starting to see that shift happen yet? Yes, definitely. And, and um, golf's at a point where, where we really need to consider the, the cycle that we get in between sustainability and participation and making sure, making sure our rates of play stay up as to how directly correlated that is to reducing our maintenance costs. So if we're, if we're insisting that our grass stays green all year round and if we're insisting that our bunker sand be imported from Ohio because it's white, then all of those costs are being passed down to the consumer. And if we're talking about how to diversify and how to be inclusive, then we need to make sure that we're not stepping backwards in all of the work that we've done so far to make golf more accessible. Speaking of accessibility, when you click on about on your on your um, on your website, the first thing it says is "Come as you are." Um, what does that mean to you? Uh, for me, golf. It, what I'm trying to do is is bigger than just playing golf. It's using golf to to make people better and and improve their relationships with the people that they care about and and the idea of come as you are is really allowing people to be to feel like they're in a safe space in golf and to be vulnerable and to express themselves through fashion and through music um, and through language uh, as as they want. And golf has not always been that open and, and welcoming. And, and I, I really want to push push the boundary of that and 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 just consider the marginalized groups and ask them what they need and center them in, in design for once. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know what the end result of that looks like, but I'm curious about it. I want to see. Uh, I love it. I mean, I, I think traditionally when you think about um, 
going to a golf course, whether you're a new golfer or not, come as you are is the last thing you think about because you think about, you know, yeah. golf's one of the few sports where there's a dress code. And depending on where you're going, that dress code can vary, but there's almost always a dress code. So the idea of come as you are almost doesn't exist in golf. And I, I find that interesting that you put that front and center uh, on about who you are as a golf course architect. Yeah, and it's just about reducing barriers to entry, and, and architecture is one way to do that, and and allowing people to come as they are is is another, and 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 we have to consider the language we use on the scorecards and how that affects people and how that puts up walls and 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 really um, marginalizes people, and, and it goes from there. So, uh, architecture all the way down to the wording we're using on the scorecard is is really important to reduce barriers. Do you think particularly because, you know, this, you know, Nationalist Trust is all about, um, you know, municipal golf. And as when we're especially when we're talking about golf courses that are owned by a municipality, I mean, mm-hmm. I would imagine you feel this way. But do, do you feel that they have a responsibility to, to make some of these changes to make um, their golf courses, particularly when they're run by a, a municipality, to make them as open and accessible for their entire population that may want may want to um, visit and participate in their in their property. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. It is your it is your job to to use golf as a medium to improve your community. Um, it's not the other way around. Nobody owes you anything as a golf course. You're there to serve the community, and and we can use golf to enrich people's lives and and enhance their their physical and mental health and and create meaningful relationships um so it is their duty as a municipality yeah um there's there's one more line i have to ask you about um just because i'd love to hear you explain it a little bit more uh impact over intent what is that yeah uh yeah (laughs) so um we've we've touched on it a little bit before but if if we're thinking about designing for for people with slower swing speeds so that could be anyone uh, literally anyone who has a slower swing swing speed so seniors juniors people someone with an injury someone with adaptive needs women men anyone um golf courses have it in their in their heads that if they throw in a forward tee then you know people are just going to come running to the golf course um, and spend all their money and stay and play for the rest of their lives. But that's that that's often not the impact. If if people don't know where and how to design a forward tee, the impact can often be really negative. Um, and I'm sure I've I'm sure you've seen it where the forward tee is pushed off to the side next to a woodland that doesn't get any sunlight or airflow, and there's no grass on it, and it's hitting directly over sure, it's an water or toward a bunker. It's an afterthought. So, so the intention of that forward tee is good. However, the impact creates a really negative experience for people playing it. I have, I've actually never played golf in Canada. Um, does, does municipal golf look much different in Canada than it does in the United States? No, I think it looks very similar. So one of the questions I, I, I'm curious, you, you've already touched on this a bit, um, but you know, sticking with municipal golf, is, is there an example of a way a municipal run golf course could rethink their property or to to improve some of the, the social impact, diversity, inclusion that, that that you talk about for for a course that already exists? I mean, because w- w- when I think about it, 
you know, so many of the, the things that are just, you know, that easily come to mind are, you know, certain programs to, to bring in, um, kids or maybe folks that otherwise wouldn't play golf or maybe the clubhouse. But, you know, when you're thinking about the golf course, it's just, again, it's, it's something that, you know, I have a hard time. I've just never really thought about it and, and I have a hard yeah. time thinking of examples. Yeah, so uh, the easiest thing to do is just take a look at your scorecard. Uh, make sure your language is is, is inclusive. Um, make sure that your yardages aren't too too long. Generally, we this is very general gen, generalizing, but we like to say that par fives should be no longer than four hundred yards. Par fours should be no longer than three hundred and forty yards, and par threes no longer than one hundred and forty yards from the most forward tees. So if you if you want a really quick check and see how you're doing um, to be able to be more inclusive to beginners and seniors and new players, uh, take a look at the scorecard. It's a really great place to start. Is there a <clears throat> this is this is going to be my question at the end of each one of these podcasts? But since we're talking about municipal golf, is are there uh, is there a municipal golf course maybe in on, Ontario that that's um, you know? a little bit out of the way, maybe not on folks' radar, that um, is one that you really near and dear to your heart? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to plug Dentonia Park. It is uh, right in the city center of Toronto. It's in Scarborough. Um, It has uh, 300,000 people are within a 10-minute walk of this place. It has the potential to have such a huge impact on the community. The, the pro shop is in the subway, so you can literally just take the subway, get off at Victoria Park Station, and you're at the golf course. It's 18-hole par 3. Um, it's The architecture is nothing special, but it's, it's, it's so much more than that. It's, it really is community, community golf and municipal golf at its best. Very cool. 18-hole par 3. Say the name of the course one more time because I have not heard of it. Dentonia Park. Dentonia Park. I'm going to look that up. I love yeah. an 18-hole par 3. Please do. Um, the guys over at that, the Preferred Lie did a cool video um, all about D'Antonio. It's called Downtown Divot, so I would recommend that you watch it. Very cool. Um, so I, I'm certainly excited to, to to see your panel on sustainability at the uh, at the National Trust uh, Symposium on Municipal Golf. Um, have you been to DC before? Or will this be your first time? This is my first time to DC. I am so excited. Is this a quick in and out, or are you gonna be in town for a couple of days? No, I'm 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 thrilled to to check out some of the other panels and and talks. So I'll I'll be there for the full three very, days. Very cool, very cool. Well, uh, for folks listening, just another reason to to, to get a ticket to the uh, symposium and get an opportunity uh, to chat with and meet uh, Christine Fraser, uh, one of the um, uh, most interesting up and coming golf course architects in the field. Um, so Christine, this has been great. Thank you very much. I hope to get the opportunity to meet you myself in person at the symposium. Uh, but thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. I appreciate your curiosity. Excellent.